Today feels like a special week because we get to start a new book of the Bible. So with your Bibles open, you can turn to 1 Peter. Uh, we have made our way through the first, uh, for, the, for the three epistles of the Apostle John. And uh, just after some time talking and praying with the other pastors, we decided that 1 Peter would just be a great book to launch into for Sunday mornings. And as always, what we're going to do is we're going to take it one verse at a time until we come to the end of those five chapters in 1 Peter, and then we'll see where the Lord leads us in his word after that. And so what I'm confident about is that every week that we gather and we open God's word, uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to us and that his word is gonna be transformative for us because his word is living and it's active and it's powerful. Uh, in fact, Peter says this about the word of God at the end of chapter one. He says, you know, as everyone and everything around us withers and fails, the word of God endures forever. And this word is the good news that is preached to us, the, the message of the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus. And, and so that's what we're going to do. Are you ready for it? You ready to get into the word? Excellent. So with your Bibles open, uh, you can turn to the first epistle of Peter. Uh, it's near the end of your New Testament right before the letters of John, and it's one of the only two uh, letters that are written by the Apostle Peter, First uh, Peter and Second Peter. So let's just prepare our hearts this morning as we uh, enter into his word. Let me pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the transforming power that it has in us. Uh, and the reason why it's transforming is because you, um, you were in it. And you work through it. And God, as everything, as we've said, can wither and fail in this life, Lord, your word endures forever. You even said, Jesus, that you hold your word higher than your name. That's a, that's a pretty high place, Lord. So we want to hold it high within our hearts and minds today. So God, we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 1 of 1 Peter says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So right there off the bat, we see that the letter is from Peter. You guys all know old Pete. He was one of Jesus's disciples, one of the 12. He's probably one of the most recognized names in the Bible aside from Jesus. And uh, to be an apostle simply means that Jesus called him to himself that he might be one of his Followers, You know, Peter was something like an apprentice of Jesus. And so Peter, uh, along with his brother Andrew, they left the fishing business aside and they went to follow after Jesus for three years. And so Peter was taught and transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And then after the resurrection and seeing Jesus alive, Peter was restored, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then sent out to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Peter got to be part of a lot of the firsts. We see that Peter was the one who preached the first gospel message at Pentecost, where the church was born. Uh, we see that Peter was actually the one who preached the gospel to the first Gentile that was saved, Cornelius. And so Peter was a leader among the apostles. And we see that even Jesus had something of like a smaller training cohort within the 12 uh, that consisted of the three, uh, Peter, James, and John. And it's not necessarily because Peter was some 
some way greater or better than the other apostles, you know. Uh, even that tradition would say that he was the first pope. Uh, you know, Peter simply was used by God. And, and maybe we could even say that because of Peter and just the way he operated, that the reason Jesus kept him so close is because, you know, he needed a little extra watching. <laughs> he had to <laughs> keep an eye on this guy. Because what you see when you read the Gospels is you see that Peter had quite the personality, right? One of my favorite stories that illustrates how Peter kind of differed from the rest of the disciples is that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, uh, the guys went back to the fishing business. They were supposed to go about the kingdom business, but they went back to their boats and they were out there on the Sea of Tiberias and they were dejected and they were thinking, you know, what are we gonna do now that Jesus is dead and gone? And they're out there fishing one morning. And then this man comes and tells them to cast their nets over the other side of the boat. And so what they do is they, they listen to this guy, they cast their nets, and immediately their nets are filled with fish. And then it's right there that the disciples recognized who this man was that said, cast your nets. It was Jesus, of course. Right? He was alive from the dead and he had gone after his disciples who had all deserted him at the cross and he's seeking to restore them, especially Peter. And so what does Peter do in this situation? Well, what he does is he's, he just you know, grabs his overcoat and he jumps off the boat into the water and he swims ashore to Jesus. You know, anytime Peter was around Jesus in a boat, he could never stay on the boat. <laughs> and so here he is, swimming to shore to be with Jesus. Now, what do the other guys do? Well, the other guys, you know, will pull him and catch a fish, first off, uh, and then they bring their boat to shore. And all of them just step right off onto dry land, right? Maybe took a few minutes longer to get to Jesus, but here they were on the beach with Jesus. Peter's absolutely soaking wet, and the other guys are completely dry. And they're all with Jesus. Like they all eventually got to be in the same situation to be with Jesus. But that's just kind of how Peter is. You know, we could say that he was a little bit of a wild card. You know, there were times where Peter just got it so right. And then there were times when Peter got it so wrong. And I think that many of us can relate to Peter in that. I know that I can. And so Peter, being the great leader that he was, Jesus saw this in him and, and he was used in just amazing ways in the early church. He got to be, again, as I said, part of all the first, the first sermon uh, preached at Pentecost, the first uh, Gentile Cornelius being saved through his ministry. And yet we can also recall those other moments in Peter's life, those you know, not so glorious occasions that happened. We think about that time Pretty shortly after Peter, you know, answered the question of a lifetime when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And he confessed him as the Christ. He was the first to do that really among the disciples. But then later Peter tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus turned around and rebuked him and he said, get behind me, Satan. And then we know that Peter at the time of the cross, even though he emphatically said that he wouldn't do this, denied Jesus three times. And Peter would often allow his pride to get in the way. Um, he often allowed his uh, opinions come into play when they weren't necessary. 
Um, but we always remember how Jesus pursued Peter, how even after being risen from the dead, how the Lord went to Peter and he showed him kindness and forgiveness and restoration. Because look, a, a change happened in Peter's life. Rob said the other day, actually, he said, you know, when you see a salty fisherman using words like precious, you know that a change has happened. <laughs> but, but here's where a lot of us can relate, is that in this change of Peter's life, it was a process. Peter had to go through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus faithfully. And, and this ongoing change that happened in Peter, it, it happened even well after Pentecost. That it was always continually working out. In fact, we see that we are called Jesus's workmanship. And what that simply means is that we are a work in progress. You know, this last Wednesday, one of our youth gave their testimony. And she said how we are like clay on the potter's wheel. And, and as the master potter is just shaping us and molding us, um, it, it's a process to make us into what God wants us to be. And that was true for Peter's life. It was change that would happen over time. We would call that sanctification. And yet, in another sense, the change that happened in Peter's life, it happened in an instant. And we will look at what that experience is called in the first few sentences of this letter today. So it's Peter, this well-known apostle who was writing the letter. Um, there was no objection to Peter being an apostle. You know, Paul often had to defend his apostleship, but no, everyone recognized Peter for who he was. He was an apostle, which simply meant that he was a messenger of Jesus. He was a delegate of King Jesus. And so what was the message that he carried? Well, he carried the good news of the kingdom of God that was received from Jesus, the message of the gospel. And that is a message that we will hear proclaimed today, even just out the gate from this letter. So he was an apostle, an eyewitness to the risen Christ and sent to declare it. And he wrote this letter that we're going to be studying for, for some period of time. We'll see how long the Lord has us in here. But, but he wrote this letter under the inspiration of God. You know, as we study God's word each and every week, we believe that these words on these pages, and although they might be, you know, edited and bound to look a certain way, we believe that these words are inspired by God. They are authoritative and instructive for godliness and for living in righteousness. And, and these words that we're gonna uh, hear from Peter, they're gonna come through his personality, but, but they all are certainly testifying to the work of Jesus and who Jesus is and his personality. And so that's who's writing, it's Peter. Then look again in verse one, who he's writing to. He writes to the elect exiles. And I love this title. That, that's the title that's given uh, in the ESV version. Your version might say something like pilgrims or sojourners, but I like how ESV calls uh, the people that are being written to elect exiles. I think that's a very meaningful name that's given to Christians, to God's redeemed people. And he first refers to the people as God's elect. And to be elect means that you have simply been chosen by God, that he chose you to be his child. 
that you have been drawn to God and he is your father. And this has happened through the atoning work of the son of God and the spirit of God has given you the ability to believe and to live for God. And the Bible uses that simple um, word elect to describe how our salvation has occurred. Now, it might bother you a little bit that I've used the word simple with the word elect or the idea of election. And and we're actually going to look at another idea in just the next verse that God had foreknowledge of our salvation in verse 2. But to me, you know, election and God's foreknowledge, they are simple ideas. Don't get me wrong. You can continue your whole life plummeting the theological depths of what these means, but they are simple because this is what it tells us. It tells us that if God knows us and he has chosen us, that God is God and we are not. That's really what election tells us. And I find it a simple comfort to know that my salvation is not a work of myself, but it is a work of God. And and look, I I do have human will and human responsibility. Those are also simple biblical truths. And together, these truths can go hand in hand that God has chosen us and we have chosen him. And there is a relationship that exists between us and God. But God knows who he will save because he is an all-knowing God. Nothing is a surprise to God. You know, when we get to heaven, God's not going to be like, how did you get here? Right? He knows his people. But you know what? When we get to heaven, I think we're going to be the ones saying, How'd you get here? Right? I think we'll all be surprised at God's amazing kindness and grace and his choosing. But you see, God's foreknowledge can only make sense in our minds through a believer's hindsight. You know, you got to kind of look back and realize, wow, God really did save me. And we could, again, plummet the theological depths of these truths, but what we want to always do is allow the deep truths of God to increase our love for Jesus and, and to make sure that we're always coming back to the simple gospel, the simple fact that God chose us and that he saved us, and this is the work that he has done. And so you are his elect if you know Jesus. And let that simple truth bring you comfort today. Next, he calls them exiles. The reason Peter addresses them in this way is because many of the Christians at that time had been scattered from their homes and something that Peter calls the dispersion. Now, now Peter calls them exiles in a literal sense in that these Christians had been driven out from their homes and from their families because of the increase and the rise of persecution that was happening amongst the church. People were coming to faith in Jesus, and many of these Jewish Christians were coming to faith, and they had been scattered out probably from where they were living, somewhere in or around Israel, to these different regions now that uh, Peter mentions, Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were all Roman territories within Asia Minor, but these places where they were now settled into, they were not their homelands. That's why they were called Exiles, And because of this dispersion, a lot of the things that were just normal in the daily lives of these believers had changed. 
And there were some now unique challenges that these disciples were facing in what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. For these Christians, their, their families and their homes and their work and their community, it all seemed to change overnight. Perhaps you can relate to that kind of disruption that can happen sometimes in life. You know the times when you're feeling all cozy and comfortable and life is going well for you on the home front. And then a set of circumstances or a change that is outside of your control comes into your life and things get thrown off and you feel like you are now living as an exile. Well, get ready for 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter, I think, has a lot that we will learn about and what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in the world that we live in. And if I can even say, especially in the world we live in today. But look, the, the, the challenges that we face today, they're not unique to us. These first century believers that Peter was writing to, they were facing similar, if I, if I would even say harder things than we are facing today. But I think that as Christians face challenges in life, what we learn to do is we learn to endure through them by trusting Jesus. And these lessons that we're gonna see throughout First Peter, they're lessons that will truly speak to us today. They're gonna be, you know, there might be slightly different circumstances and situations just because of the context of the culture and the time of what P Peter was writing. But again, we have the enduring word of God, the word of God that lasts forever. Nothing really changes because the same gospel truths that comforted and corrected the early believers that Peter was writing to, these are the same gospel truths that are gonna comfort and correct us today. The circumstances might change, the culture might change, the, the world events might change, but the gospel doesn't change. And those truths remain and it will be instructive for us today. And so he calls them exiles in that physical sense. They'd been displaced from their homes but I think that Peter was also referring to them as exiles in a spiritual sense as well. You see, as Christians, earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And the reality is that once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become an exile, a sojourner, a pilgrim. You become one who is just passing through. We don't ever really settle down here because we know that we are going home to our heavenly home where Jesus is in the place that he's preparing for us. Now, I want you to hear me out on this for a minute. Before we all start diving off the boat, you know, and abandoning our God-given place here on the earth and in this world, what you have to understand as a Christian is that if you've become a believer in Jesus Christ and you're headed toward the hope of heaven, you need to understand this reality is that you have a dual citizenship. You know, some people have a dual citizenship. You carry two passports. You belong to, you know, if you will, two countries and you can identify with both places. Um, you know, we should always have sort of this semi-connection to this earth as our dwelling place, knowing that we have another home in heaven prepared for us by Jesus. And so what this letter does, that, that Peter is writing, what it does is it speaks to that experience of living within that tension. 
I think tension is a good word to describe our dual citizenship as kingdom citizens, both here on earth and in heaven. That we live in this tension because what we feel is we feel a pull, don't we? There's times when we feel a pull toward this earth. Maybe you're a young person and you're like, I don't want Jesus to come back till I get married. <laughs> you know, or you have young kids and you're like, I'm really enjoying this life. Why should I be hoping and longing for heaven? And maybe you're just like, get me out of here, Lord. Right? I don't know where you are in that, but a lot of times we feel that tension. You know, Paul even spoke about this in Philippians chapter one. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he even talked about that tension in Philippians one of being here on earth because he still had ministry to do and yet he was longing to be with Jesus in heaven. So we live in this tension. You know, the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah was um, speaking to people, the Jewish people who had experienced exile in Babylon. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 5 through 7, uh, we see a really wonderful instruction for the, the Jewish people that were in exile. And I think it also speaks to us as Christians living here on the earth. It says this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And listen to this, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Isn't that beautiful? Speaks to how we're to live here in this world, enjoying the blessings of life. Maybe you just had a grandchild. Enjoy it. It's to be enjoyed and it's to be settled into. But again, we cannot diminish another reality, which is that we are headed toward heaven, which is really the real home that Christians ought to have a longing hope for. And so that's how we live. We live as exiles, chosen by God for a home in heaven, faithfully seeking to navigate life well here on earth. We wanna be good citizens of this world. So that's what we've established so far. We've established that the letter is from Peter. It's written to elect exiles. And now he's gonna take us a little deeper in what it means to be a Christian, to have a living hope as we belong to Jesus. Look at verse two. We are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now you read that, it might sound like a mouthful of words, right? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna boil it down just to one word, the word Trinity. And the word Trinity, if you've been a Christian, you understand that theological concept, which isn't found within the Bible. You can't go to your concordance and find the word Trinity. It's nowhere written in the in there with that word. However, the idea of it, um, the theology of it is woven throughout the fabric of scripture. And a lot of times what you see just as the apostles are writing, it just kind of flows from them. They're talking about the Father and the Son and then the Holy Spirit all within like one verse in this linear kind of way where we're woven together. We see the salvific plan of God. 
And so here in verse 2, what we're seeing is we're seeing the truth of the nature of God. That God has revealed himself in scripture as one God who exists in three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And a child can understand that. And yet we will spend all of eternity mining the depths of what it means. This is God that we were talking about. And in this verse, we see how God works together as one to accomplish our salvation. And you've heard me say these things before. So as we just think about who the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is and how they work together for our salvation, just think about this for a moment from verse 2. First, we see there the Father's foreknowledge. We've already touched on this a little bit, but the, the Father is the one who plans the work of salvation. He, he is the one who has a perfect will, and that will will be done. And then we see the son's cleansing blood. See, the son accomplishes the work of salvation. This speaks about the son's death on the cross as he, uh, being God, also added humanity to his deity and came and lived and dwelled among us. He, he draped himself in humanity and shed his blood on a cross for our sins. And he was doing this to fulfill the Father's will, to do the Father's plan. And then we see the Spirit's sanctification, that the Spirit is the one who applies the work. This speaks to how the Holy Spirit sets us apart in sanctification, meaning that he sets us apart for holiness so that we can obey Jesus. That, that the Spirit sanctifies us for obedience to Christ with the sprinkling of his blood. It's like the Spirit and the blood, if you don't have... If you don't have the spirit and the blood, you can't obey Jesus. And that's what the spirit does. And all of these truths about who God is, as a father, as a son, as a Holy Spirit, you know what it tells us? It tells us that on our own, we are lost without God. The Bible is very clear that we are sinners in need of a savior. We see the nature of God here, but we also need to understand our own nature. And the Bible teaches us that because we are sinners, God had a plan to save us. The Father knows the plan, the Son does the plan, and the Holy Spirit reveals and applies the plan to your life. Isn't that beautiful? So this morning, this is what I'm confident about. I know that each and every single one of us here today needs to experience this personally. That God is a personal savior and he is willing and able to save you and he has done all the work. You simply come to him and receive from him the work that he has done to you. So why would we ever remain in a place of unbelief? You know, do you believe that God planned on you being here this morning? I do. There's no accidents with God. And if you're here this morning and you've come for whatever circumstance or whatever reason, it's no accidents. And, and look, I, I know that you're coming here to church because either you are a believer and you're coming because, you know, we, we gather together each and every Sunday to grow in our walk with Jesus. But I know that any time we gather on a Sunday morning, there may be people in our midst who don't know Jesus in that way yet. 
you're here. Maybe you're here because you've been brought by your parents. And they said, as long as you're living under this roof, you will come on Sunday mornings. <laughs> or maybe you've come because, I don't know, you're curious. You want to know more about this God-man, Jesus, and you have some questions and you think that maybe you could find some answers here. I don't know why you're here, but I know that anytime we gather on Sundays, there might be people in our midst who don't know Jesus yet. Whereas we sang in that song earlier, I want to know you, Lord, like I know a friend. And you could just say, what does that even mean? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can know that God as a friend? Yes, you can. I know him. He's my best friend. And you can know him too. So God planned on you being here this morning, that you would hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would have an opportunity to ask God to be your savior. God has planned it. The son has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit is with you right now. And he's saying, believe. This is true. You can believe. And just as Peter that just as God did with Peter, he was eager to show him his kindness, his forgiveness, and his restoration. So maybe you're hearing this right now, and right now you're like Peter, and you're just ready to dive off the boat. And so what I'm going to do is, you know, a lot of times as a preacher, what we do, I'm, I'm not going to hold back any sort of secrets here. What we do is we, you know, build the message with a couple of points, and then we get to the end, and it's like we have this big crescendo with an opportunity at the end, and the worship band comes up, and they're, they're going to start strumming their guitars, and the lights are going to go dim, and the, the, the blue light's going to make you feel really great inside, and then I'm going to say, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you, and I'm going to, because I actually believe it, and I'm going to passionately declare to you that you would know Jesus, but listen, maybe that's not how you're wired up. Maybe you're more like Peter, and you, you don't need all that stuff. You just need to simply come to a decision. God is God, and I am not. God is real, and today I want to bring the real me to him. And if you're here, and you're sensing that, and God's moving in your heart, and you're ready to just dive in, just throw up your hand right now. Lights on and all. Why would we pass up an opportunity for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who's been revealing himself to you, for you to come to a relationship with him? By putting a hand in the air, all you're simply doing is saying, God, I want you to see me. And I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. Is there anyone here ready to do that today, if you haven't ever done that? All right, cool. Let's keep going. I might give you another chance at the end. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Some over there raise their hand. I see you right back there. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Father sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And uh, Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, and he's risen from the dead to give you a living hope. And we're going to talk about the rest of that this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's keep going. All right. So Peter goes on in his greeting by saying this at the end of verse 2. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love this greeting. This is one of the first um, 
the first things I ever learned as a Christian in a Bible study was that anytime you see this salutation of grace and peace being multiplied to you, you always see it in that order, grace coming before peace. And I remember hearing just this maybe kind of kitschy, but I thought at the time really cool idea is that anytime you see it, it's always going to be grace and then peace. And the reason for that is because you can't experience peace in your life until you have first experienced the grace of God in your life. If you want peace in life, you're searching for peace and satisfaction, you need to know God's grace. A lot of times people seek peace and they've never tasted and seen the grace of God. The other cool thing is that this greeting, the grace is the Greek word charis. That's how the Greeks would, you know, introduce themselves to one another. They'd say charis. And then the word peace is the word shalom, the Hebrew word. And so the idea is that to both... Jews and Gentiles, the greeting was given because the gospel is for all. Amen? Amen. Now let's look at verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So with just passion pouring out of him, Peter can't help but blessing the Father for sending the Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And then... He's so thankful for the mercy of God shown towards sinners, and he's going to talk now about what that looks like using a term that is completely unique to the gospel, this word that Jesus coined in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, feel free to turn over to John chapter 3. We're going to look at this one interaction that happened between a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. Um, a, a seeker of God, really. And it seems that uh, Nicodemus was curious about Jesus for some time. He had heard him teaching, he had seen the miracles that he was performing, and he wanted to know, who is this man? Is he just a man or is he something more? Could he be the Messiah? Could this be God? And so Nicodemus wanted to know more. And in John chapter 3, we see starting off in verse 3 through 6, Jesus answered to Nicodemus, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Maybe you've heard this idea, born again. You just witnessed it, by the way, to be born again. And in a rather kind of funny way, Nicodemus asked Jesus, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. You know, he was more of the intellectual type. How in the world can I be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mom's womb as, an, as a grown man? And Jesus explains, you know, we've all been born of water. And that's the idea that we've all been born from the waters of our mother's womb. But there is a second birth that is not physical but spiritual. And to be born again, it's not going to come from your mom. You know, again, I'm, I'm going to talk real briefly to the people who might be here because your mom and dad love Jesus. And they want you to love Jesus. I'll tell you, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I tell the youth group all the time, there's no piggyback rides into heaven. 
You know, just because mom and dad are Christians doesn't mean you automatically inherit the kingdom of God. You yourself have to be born again. Mom can't do that for you. So it won't come from man. It has to happen through the Holy Spirit. And I know that this might seem basic, but for us just to really get our minds around this, we've all experienced the first birth. For me, I was born to my mom, Karen, and to my dad, Eric. And when I was born, uh, I was their child. But when I was 17 years old, I was born again to God, who is my father, to Jesus, who is my brother, to the Holy Spirit, who gave me the ability to actually become his child. And so how does that all happen? Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you know, just as you see the wind blow, and I like to kind of picture it in my mind that they're outside and they're seeing kind of the wind rustle the leaves on the trees. They're feeling the wind blow across their skin. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you, you have never seen wind. Wind is invisible. But what you see is you see the effects of wind don't you? You see, again, how a tree moves, or you feel it upon your skin, and the, the spirit is very much the same way. He is not visible to the human eye. We perceive him by faith, and by faith, he changes people, and when you put your faith in Jesus, whom the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to believe, he gives you the faith for you to be able to trust God, what happens is you see the effects of that. You see the change that happens in people's life. And again, that can happen at an instance, and that happens also as a process. But what we cannot deny is that for someone who is born again, we have seen the effects of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're not what they used to be. As Paul says, they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we are now his workmanship, created in Christ for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we continue to walk in Jesus in what one pastor calls long obedience in the same direction. We just keep following Jesus as the spirit continues to have his effect in our lives. And so this is what God did for Peter and this is what God wants to do in your life. Whether it's to believe for the first time or to continue on the journey of following Jesus, what we know is you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. It's like trying to ride a bike with flat tires. Like, you'll go, but you're just not going to get very far or very fast. It's not going to be very fun, right? You need some air. The, the word for spirit is actually the word pneuma, breath, wind, air. You need some wind in your life, man. You need some, some wind in your sails to keep going on in the journey. And if you're trying by religion or by your own strength to follow Jesus, you need a fresh wind from God. You need a fresh breath of air into your lungs for you to follow Jesus. And so if you need that today, all you need to do is you need to ask God the Father, who planned on you being here today, to set you apart by the Holy Spirit, to come to Jesus, ask that he might cleanse you with his blood, 
which was shed upon the cross so that you can now walk in obedience to God. All of this is not just simply for experience, for experience sake. This is for obedience to Christ, which happens by the shed blood of the cross and by the Spirit's power in our life. Amen? And we are born again to a living hope. I love that Peter taps that on to the idea of being born again. Because he understood that when he was born again, it could only happen by the risen Christ. Jesus was alive, and when Peter was, was dead and ditching out on Jesus, Jesus restored him and loved him, showed him his kindness, and um, empowered him. So it's a living hope that we have. Not everyone can say that, because for many religions, their God or their religious leader is either dead or never lived at all. This is what sets Christianity apart, is that Jesus is alive and that he is the internal, unchanging God, and there is no one like him. And so, we're supposed to make it to verse 5. This is the time when I'm going to call the worship band forward, and we're going to start playing the music. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm going to consolidate this last little bit as we close out this morning. Does that sound good? All right. Worship band, come on up. That was the cue. <laughs> so... Um, well, we just want to celebrate the new life, and what, what's your name? Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll come say hi. What is it? Okay, Magdalena. Praise the Lord. Well, saw your hand go up, and the Lord did, it, did a great work in your life, and before the worship starts, does anybody else want to follow Jesus today? And you're convinced today that Jesus is real and that he loves you and he did um, die upon a cross to save you from your sins and you want to have a relationship with him. All right, praise the Lord. Well, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Magdalena. Lord, thank you for the new life that is in her. Thank you, Lord, that we are born again to a living hope. And for all who have experienced that that born-again moment, that experience when the, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled within them and changed them and transformed them. God, that is a powerful experience, and yet we also know that this is a process. As we are headed toward heaven, it sometimes feels long and arduous and hard, but God, you are our power, you are our strength. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't just make us born again and then you're done. You actually continuously fill us and continuously give us that living power. And Jesus, you said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink with me. And, and you said that out of our innermost beings will flow torrents of living water. And so God, would you refresh today? Holy Spirit, would you blow us wind today and refresh and empower and get people going um, more effectively in the right direction of obedience to Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time together, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. It says this in verse 4. We have been raised to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you, you have the dual citizenship. You've been born again by the spirit of God. You're going to heaven. 
heaven. I love how Peter describes it. He doesn't describe it. Um, he describes it by things that it's not. It's not corruptible. It's not defiled. It does not fade. The reason why he does that is because he doesn't even have human words to be able to describe the glories of heaven. And so he's just looking out at everything that we experience in this world and in this life and in our, in our day to day. There are a lot of corruptible things in this world. Uh, there are many things that are defiled by sin and by death. There's a lot of things that are fading away and wasting away, but heaven does not corrupt, does not default, does not fade. And it is preserved, it is pure, and it is perfect, and it is for you. It's for you if, by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the salvation that we've received, that we've inherited from King Jesus. So let's all stand up together and worship him for it.